0: Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, As the perfect preview to this lesson, I want to recall a verse that we just sang from Thy Strong Word. It's verse 3 and it really summarizes uh, what God speaks to us today in His Word. It says, Thy strong word, that's Jesus, bespeaks us righteous, bright with thine own holiness. Glorious now, we press toward glory, and our lives, our hopes, confess. Jesus is in full stride here in the Sermon on the Mount. As we begin our text for today, Jesus has just wrapped up proclaiming the Beatitudes, a gospel message to his disciples, and now he turns, and so we're in a transition to develop the rest of his discipleship sermon that he proclaims on the mount. Throughout our sermon today, we will weave in and out of Jesus' sermon to us And build from it with the context of the rest of the lessons that you heard our Old Testament and Epistle lesson today. But first, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus tells his disciples, he tells us that we serve a special purpose in this world. You know, in trying to find a deeper meaning into what Jesus is saying here, many theologians and preachers have offered all of the various uses of salt and how we as Christians are like that. And salt certainly does have a lot of uses. It can make a dish taste good. It can preserve food. And it can also, like it did this morning for us, salt the walk and the driveways, the roads, clear away the ice and snow so that we have a safe path to get to church. But these uses can all be summed up in this, that salt seasons, that is, when it is placed on something, in a dish, on the ground to melt the ice, or wherever, it affects the thing that it is touching. It causes change. It Seasons. So Jesus continues, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? This is our head scratcher from Jesus. Uh, Jesus, don't you know that salt can't lose its saltiness? It's a it's a pure mineral. And so it really can't lose its taste or effectiveness. Its chemical makeup is unique. So salt, that, salt really can't help but be salty. It can't help but season and preserve. If salt could lose its saltiness, it'd really no longer be salt. Salt that cannot season is as good as dirt or sand. So what is Jesus getting at? He continues, You are the light of the world. Maybe he didn't notice the confusion on his disciples' faces as he added another parallel picture for us. We are salt and light. How are we these things? As we go further, we will see what Jesus means. Jesus continues, You are a city on a hill, or a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all those in the house. A city on a hill served as a fixed point for people who were traveling. It was a place of refuge for sojourners. It was built to be seen and not hidden. So a hidden city on a hill is as problematic to comprehend as salt that has lost its taste. It doesn't serve its purpose. Just like lighting a lamp and then putting it under a bushel basket. It would be absurd to do that. To light a lamp and then cover it? Lamps, as Jesus said, are lit so that everyone in the house may see. Cities on hills are places of refuge. Salt was created to season. When these things don't do what they're created to do, they're no longer useful and are to be thrown out, destroyed, and snuffed out. Jesus goes on to say, "...in the same way let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works." And here, here is our key to understanding really what Jesus is talking about. It's that Jesus is getting at that he is calling his disciples salt and light, so we are to stand out by our good deeds that others may take notice. And you know, this sounds a lot like the scribes and Pharisees, they were good at being set apart from the world. They were good at keeping kosher, following the law, and they knew the rules. Maybe these were the guys that Jesus was talking about. But no, as our text continues, Jesus says that we are made uh, to we are to let our light shine so that others might see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. The good works that salt the earth and illuminate this world, show others Jesus and his love. They don't bring glory to themselves, but to God's work all around them. Just like that salt that perfectly seasons the dish shouldn't stand out on your palate. Or that we shouldn't really look at a light that's lighting the room. That would be kind of silly because we'd be focusing on not what its purpose is supposed to serve, to help you see really everything else. We don't fixate on the light. If we do, we would miss the picture. The light of God reveals His good work in the world. Neither should our good works point back to us, but to the love of Jesus Christ. As we move on in the Gospel of Matthew, we see that the scribes and Pharisees they knew God's law, but they didn't understand it. They thought if they did all these things that they were to be honored among men, to be noticed and recognized as being faithful. But Jesus' disciples are not focused on themselves, but on God and his good work around them, reaching out to the lost. You know, this seems like a simple task to trust in God, and love others. But in practice, it's hard. We, like Pharisees, often think we're doing it right. We know the right theology, and we're faithful for the most part. In everything that we say and do, we're pretty good, right? We're pretty good disciples generally, but do we season The world with our righteous acts? Are we a beacon for our community or a light for all the people in this world to see? Do others see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven? Or do our good deeds serve us first? In our Old Testament lesson, we see this problem cropping up. In Isaiah, we hear God's people questioning him. They're asking, why hasn't he noticed their fasting? They thought they were following his law to a T. They would grovel before him in their fasting. The only Old Testament command for fasting on a given day was Yom Kippur. That is, the Day of Atonement. This is a day when God's people were To repent of their sin, forgive others, and ask God for mercy. But the only thing that we hear here in Isaiah from God's people is an outcry Why don't you notice how faithful we are to you, God? He gives a response and it cuts through the appearances of things. Sure, they're in sackcloth and ashes, but this is what he says Behold, In the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, your fast, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice heard on high. The actions of God's people were merely a facade. They went through the motions but failed to see why God instituted the fast. So their good deeds of fasting were merely a show. Their focus was on a twisted understanding of the law. They thought that if they looked the part, bending low in sackcloth and ashes, that God would give them their heart's desires. But they were unrepentant in their fasting. God says that they would quarrel and fight. This is the very thing that they should have been repentant of. And yet, in their good deeds, they were bickering and fighting with one another, cutting down one another. Instead, their fasting, in their fasting, their hearts were left bitter towards one another and towards God. And we, all too often are like God's people here. In our attempts to be good and faithful, we look down upon others who aren't quite meeting our mark on what it means to be faithful to God. In our attempts to be good and faithful, we pick and choose those more comfortable ways of expressing our faithfulness towards God. But you see, when we act this way, we aren't really following God or trusting Him. God wanted them, His people, to have a heart like His that sought to feed the hungry and not despise those who were lower in social status or who were in the margins and less fortunate. God says this, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh. This is God's fast. This is the result he wants his followers to have from fasting. Not a big head for being faithful, but a big heart for those who go hungry day in and day out. For people who have no choice as to if they eat or not on any given day. God's fast is full. It's full of mercy for those who are oppressed. Unfortunately, our sinful nature has many responses to seeing those in need. We often can turn a blind eye to those people who need help. We are born with a sinful condition that causes us to judge our neighbor in need. We often say, oh, I really don't have the time to help you right now. Or... If only they had not done drugs and gotten themselves in such a bad situation. If they had not had sex outside of marriage, then they wouldn't have to make such a difficult choice. Or if they maybe would have worked harder instead of trying to live off of my hard work. Our sinful nature can even see an opportunity in those in need. Not an opportunity to care for our neighbor, but an opportunity to be noticed by others. This, this is how salt that has lost its saltiness acts. This is what it looks like to be a hidden city on a hill. This is how brilliant it looks to light a lamp and then cover it up. Apart from God, we hide ourselves from our own flesh. From our own brothers and sisters, we hide and we refuse to help. Jesus, though, he wants us to know something. He wants us to know that we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. Jesus calls his disciples Game changers. Yes, I had to put up a picture of Tom Brady. He'll be a game changer today in the Super Bowl, I guarantee it. In one way or another. We, by nature of being God's disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ, have an effect on the world around us. We illuminate the dark places to rescue the lost and season the earth with mercy and justice. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus has made you His disciples. In the waters of baptism, you have followed Jesus into death. And you have been born again of water and word. The law we fail to follow was fulfilled perfectly by Jesus Christ. Jesus lowered himself to take on flesh. He didn't hide from us nor our brother, but took our burdens to the grave. In God's loving gift of sins forgiven, he makes you salt and light. And he does this daily through remembering your baptism. God has given you his spirit. As Paul states in our epistle lesson, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. This spirit of the, this spirit of the world thinks that life is all a transaction. It's this for that. And even with God, if we do our part, he should do his but the spirit that God has given, that he has placed us on us in the waters of baptism, is a spirit that trusts this good news. Though we cannot measure up to God's law, Jesus Christ has for us. He has made us salt and light. So while we sin and we fall short, we repent and we trust in his good and gracious will. We are given an understanding that we cannot earn God's favor. There are no actions that we can do to get his notice. Jesus has already given us his full attention. He has perfectly loved us and shown us his love. He notices us and showers us with understanding of unlimited grace and mercy. So our compassion and understanding for our neighbor flows out of the love, the good news that we have in Jesus Christ and it seasons our good deeds for our neighbor. Not motivated by fear, but by love. So that others might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, Jesus Christ declares you as light and salt, not as a new law to live up to, but as a promise that He will sustain you and continue His love and good work through you, even when you fall short. His call is not for you to be perfect, but to trust in the perfection that He has made you to be. Because as our gospel lesson reminds us, Jesus Christ did not come into the world to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. His fulfillment was done for you on the cross. That is why Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is how we live as Christians. Our whole life is shaped around the fact that we are forgiven and freed people who have the opportunity to forgive and free others in Christ Jesus. Not everyone will receive this good news with open arms. Many will reject this abundant grace that for various reasons. And our mission is not to judge those who reject Jesus but to continue to press on from glory to glory to offer His grace with mercy and love. You Are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is good news because this means you are a disciple of Jesus and God is working through you to season this earth with his love and compassion, to shine a light in the dark places, to show God's redemptive power on the cross. Because Jesus has fulfilled the law perfectly, we see God's promise in Isaiah in action. This is the promise God gave his people. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. This is great news. His dawn is breaking forth in us today. Our good deeds will shine before us and give glory to our Father in heaven because Jesus is our strength and our protection. The dawn of God's glory has shone upon you. May His grace and mercy lead you in love for your neighbor and one another, in Jesus' name. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.